What's up, nerds? Welcome back to Lingering on the Lectionary, where we reflect on the life of the churches, the local academy, and the rhythm of the church's liturgy. Thanks for being here. Today I talk with Drew Dixon about his new book, Know Thy Gamer. We talk about some of the challenges and rewards of parenting in today's culture, about the value and risk of video games, and some of the ways we can minister to those in the gaming community. Thanks for listening. Well, friends, welcome back. Today, I am too blessed to be stressed because I have Dr. Matt Millsap joining me as co-host. Matt was on the podcast in the spring to talk about theological engagement with video games, so check that out if you haven't for an introduction to some Millsap miscellanies. Welcome, Matt. (laughs) Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, that was actually the uh, only podcast that has a different intro. It's the Halo Infinite um, uh, epic starting music. And if you... There's an Easter egg at the end. If you wait till the very end, you'll hear a 360 <laughs> no-scope. Um, so uh, we're also joined today by Drew Dixon. Drew, today we're going to discuss your soon-to-be-released book, Know Thy Gamer, A Parent's Guide to Video Games with B&H. But before we jump into our discussion, uh, could you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and what led you to writing a book like this? Sure, yeah. So um, I... And I am. Uh, I work in publishing, so I've been doing that for about eight years now, almost almost nine years. Um, curriculum development at Lifeway, um, student ministry curriculum. I oversee a lot of our student ministry uh, curriculum products. Um, but before that, uh, I guess for probably over a decade now, I've been writing and thinking about video games, and really that stemmed from like an interest, a passion, maybe that maybe passion's too strong a word, a, a love. <laughs> an affection <laughs> what is the right word an affection for video games that i've kind of always had and you know there were times when i didn't play video games for a while but it's always something that's been interesting to me and i think there was a time in my life where i sort of looked out across the landscape of christian thinking and there wasn't much out there nobody was thinking critically and thoughtfully and christianly about video games and so i was like well i i could do that i could i could try to unpack what's good and true and beautiful here and then also maybe what's what's broken as well and um so yeah so i started writing about video games and i wrote for i don't know dozens of different outlets um kind of trying to come to a more balanced uh understanding of why video games matter and you know what 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 can be problematic about them as well and um yeah i did that for a long time and and then um you know i have i have three kids and so uh B&H approached me and said, would you consider writing something about this from the parents' perspective? So, you know, sort of a Christian parents' perspective on on video games. And I thought that that sounds great because I'm trying to, th- I'm like actively, I'm a practitioner, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I'm a parent. And so I'm actively trying to think of like, what should, what should my kids' relationship with video games look like? And I know it's like a huge problem for so many, uh, are, are you guys both parents? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know yeah. this, like you don't, you don't want to just hand your kids over to these things, but at the same time, I think there is value in it, and the church has failed to see that a lot of times. And so I wanted to bring a more balanced approach because the church's, um, like attitude to video games, I think, has either been one of like, um, indifference, like I'm just not going to touch that, I'm not going to go there, or it's been one of sort of pretty pretty strong distrust, if not outright like 
demonization. And I think that's not, that's not true. <laughs> that's not the, that's not the uh, posture that we should have, because I think that God is the creator of author, an author of play and fun. And so, um, you know, there's, we need to, we need to approach these things more, more thoughtfully mm-hmm. and, and more Christianly, as I mentioned before, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a helpful starting point. Uh, you mentioned just the, this is kind of a uh, part of a broader challenge as you're thinking about what does it mean to raise uh, kids and kind of navigate it, uh, the popular culture yourself. Even I've noticed this, my oldest one's uh, daughters are 13 and 11. Even just thinking about 10 years ago, parenting, um, for one, I keep thinking, I keep telling my friends that have older uh, kids that have gone through their teenage years, uh, once they've gotten to this phase in their life, I just keep thinking, I don't have enough wisdom for this. I don't know what yeah. I don't want to do. Um, but then even just thinking about the the technical challenges of uh, when uh, when m- my oldest daughter was younger, we watched, she was a big Door the Explorer fan. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I knew a lot about the, the meta narrative <laughs> of Door the Explorer, but it, the way that we watched that, it was a... Um, you know, this is when Netflix was sending out DV, uh, DVDs uh, in, yeah. in the mail. And so we would watch a few and then a few, you know, a little while later, we would watch some more and rewatch those, which is very different now to my my four-year-old and six-year-old where there's mm-hmm. so many options. Um, yeah. so, it's a, uh, so trying to navigate what does their um, uh, television consumption look like? Um, and how does that relate to these other things? And so in some ways, this is a, mm-hmm. uh, a an issue that lots of people are thinking through for themselves and especially for parents. Um, and sometimes the video games get um, uh, isolated from that discussion, certainly part of it. Yeah. Uh, but for, for some reason, uh, when it, especially Christian parents, maybe when they're thinking about video games, maybe they're thinking about it as a different thing than some of these other uh, media things. And so mm-hmm. in your, in your book, uh, just kind of how you're approaching it, what do you, what do you think are some of the major takeaways that you focused on or maybe which areas do you think yeah. are most pressing for parents as they navigate mm-hmm. uh, the gaming world with their children? Yeah. It's interesting that you said, um, you know, parents tend to think of video games differently than other forms of media, <clears throat> because that is a big part of the book because they are different. I think they are really different. Like, um, not in a bad way, in some really good ways. Like video games are more engaging than just about I think just about any other form of media we consume. Like when you when you read, you're taking in information. When you watch a film, you're 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 sitting there and you're watching it. But um, you know, when you watch a TV show, you're you're sitting there and consuming it. You're listening to a podcast, so forth. But when you when you game, you're playing. Like you're inputting, you're putting your own input into the system. And that's different. It's it's different than any other form of media. It's more engaging in some ways. And so I think that scares parents, some parents, because they're like, oh, this is going to consume my kid. But the flip side of that is that it's engaging their brain in ways that those other forms of, of media are not. They're more invested in it. And that's not a bad thing. That deeper level of investment and interest can be leveraged, I think, for good. It can be leveraged for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. And those... and and hear me say this, like, um, moderation is really important. Um, so like, you know, there is, I think there is a level of which we're so invested in something that, um, things that, 
that need our attention and energy and thoughtfulness get pushed to the side. Um, mm. And we could all probably share, go around the circle and share examples of times when we felt like our kids were, were becoming a little bit less thoughtful, a little less intentional, um, maybe a little less enjoyable to be around because of how deeply they're invested in a video game. Um, but uh, but th there's good and bad there. And I think, um, so really one of the biggest goal of the book uh, this is a roundabout way of answering a question, but the biggest goal of the book is to help parents understand games, what they are, what they can do, their potential for for good, for the good of the world, the glory of God, the good of their neighbor, um, and also their potential um, to be exploited by broken people. Um, because we as human beings are like really good. We're re we have um, thousands of years of expertise and experience in figuring out how to take good things and use them to hurt ourselves and other people. And that's mm -hmm. what I want, I want to help parents avoid. I want to help parents guide their children to avoid some of those pitfalls. And they're not mm -hmm. going to avoid them completely. I mean, we can't, that's something we have to sort of uh, trust the Lord in, do as best as we can, but trust the Lord in that, like, we're not going to protect them from absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but as much as we can to guide them and protect them and help them get the good out of gaming. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, the, the fascinating dynamic that is sometimes missed um, if you have just a one-sided um, view of uh, any cultural uh, artifact or cultural text, but in particular games, especially if you're not familiar with the games uh, or the gaming world. But the, I like the dynamic you give in your book from one chapter to the next. One chapter is called Games Are Good, and then the next one is Games Are Broken. Um, so sometimes uh, someone's coming at it from one of those perspectives but not um not seeing the dynamic between those two yeah yeah for sure and uh and matt what may want to uh chime in on this because i know you've thought a lot uh and written a lot about this same subject but but yeah i think that's that's exactly the the tension that i want people to feel in this and i think i i, I, li I like that i started with that <laughs> chapter of games are good because i think a lot of christian parents need to be challenged on that front to see mm -hmm. what potential is here. Um, but then also like, uh, cause like, you know, the milkshake that's going to bring all the boys to the yard with this book is like, tell me what my kids shouldn't play. <laughs> like, tell me about parental controls and mm -hmm. <laughs> like, tell me how to, somebody just tell me it's okay to throw. I think a lot of parents want to say, tell me it's okay to like throw my kids game or run it out you know, in the garbage or run it over with a lawnmower like you see on those viral videos mm -hmm. on social media, um, which I think a lot of those are fake, but hopefully parents aren't really like taking the riding lawnmower and running over their kids' Xbox, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, Drew, I would kind of echo, um, you know, a lot of what you were saying there. I teach a Christianity in the Arts course at Spurgeon College, and we cover video games as part of that course. It sometimes kind of throws students off and catches them by surprise if they don't mm -hmm. know that going in, right, and they see it in the syllabus and they see what we're, you know, at the end of the semester, we're going to be talking about video games as art in the same course that we're talking about, you know, like thousands of, of years historically of, of Christian art, you know, visual art in particular. Mm -hmm. And sort of the way I try to navigate that is in helping them to, to understand video games as art while at the same time recognizing that all forms of art are ultimately broken in a sense of like what you yeah. were describing there, right? Because they're created by sinful human beings. Mm -hmm. 
And so even though, you know, yes, you have visual art there, there are instances where you can see, you know, humanity's sinfulness being played out in visual art, not only in terms of what's being depicted, but also in the creation of, of certain art that is, yeah. you know, intended by those who are, are attempting to dishonor um, God through that either, um, you know, um, that's the word I'm looking for, directly or maybe even indirectly if they, they're approaching it, nece- mm-hmm. not necessarily from a Christian worldview. So whenever we're discussing video games in, in the course, part of what we do is recognize, like you said, both the good and, you know, the potential for things to, to go awry. And, and part of what I say in the course with regard to video games and addressing some of the objections that the church has had to them is that, you know, yes, because video games are so engaging, like you described, there is a potential I think for someone to become addicted to them in a sense in which uh, it may be more likely that someone might be become addicted to video games than they say would reading novels. I'm not saying that becoming addicted to reading reading novels and you know shirking responsibilities as part of that is outside the realm of possibility. But there's something about video games and the way that they are mm-hmm. immersive and the way that they pull people into playing them that I think makes them more prime um, for abuse. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think it's particularly important. The the there's a chapter in here called Games Are Complicated, and that's where I um get into some tips about t- sort of tips and tricks on like how to handle this stuff with your kids. But also um or no, 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 sorry, it's in the games are broken section. There's a whole section on addiction. Um and like I think we need to be really careful about throwing that term around because um you know, a kid being really into video games doesn't mm-hmm. classify as like clinical addiction. Um, and so, yeah, we need to be careful about throwing that around. But still, I'm not going to wait until my kid shows all the signs of clinical addiction before I step in and go like, hey, let's let's think about what a what a healthy relationship mm-hmm. with this particular medium looks like. Um, but but yeah, there's I think one of the biggest pieces of awareness I would encourage parents to have about video games today is about their reward systems like 10 years ago i think probably 10 years ago the biggest concern for most christian parents about video games was like was violence right like is my kid going to turn into a violent monster if i let them play um like call of duty or something um and really like the research on that has kind of come back and said like not Probably not, like uh, very unlikely that that's going to happen. So we've kind of I think we it almost feels like today we've forgotten that that was a big deal. Uh, and now everyone's worried about, like, is my kid ever going to do anything? <laughs> is my child ever going to do make mm-hmm. anything of herself or himself uh, in the world? Uh, because all I see them doing is playing Minecraft and Roblox and, um, you know, whatever else. Uh, and. Yeah, I think I'm the thing I'm most concerned about with my kids. My kids do play video games. I'll let, I'll let them play. We play a lot together. Um, the thing I'm most wary of is reward systems, like things like loot boxes and uh, free to play mechanics that, you know, keep you coming back so you can earn that extra in game currency so that you can buy that new outfit for your character and so forth. Like these are all um, like extrinsic rewards that um are not 
that wonderful they're not very good rewards is my point like they're not worth a whole lot right that new outfit for your character is not why i want my kids playing video games the things i want motivating my kids when they play video games are things like friendship um creative problem solving um the joy of figuring out the solution to a problem you couldn't otherwise you couldn't earlier figure out i want them to be motivated by like teamwork like um learning to solve a problem by leaning on and utilizing the the efforts the strengths of a collective group like th those things are really like beautiful and, and biblical um and so yeah i think yeah the thing i'm why i'm i find myself encouraging parents more about to be wary of and to be aware of is is those those reward systems that are you know a lot of video games are kind of designed like slot machines um mm -hmm. and and i don't see a lot of like redemptive value and slot machines so yeah that's i think that's a helpful uh perspective as you're thinking about it goes on both sides of thinking through what games are what makes them beautiful or engaging and attractive but also what are some of the uh, challenges and cautions mm -hmm. uh, someone needs to have um, how do you think uh, this discussion relates to the broader discussion of, you've hit on it a few times, but uh, like a theology of play or the function of leisure in the Christian life? Because uh, sometimes this is uh, a concern for, of a parent, like my yeah. child is uh, <laughs> my child is, is not going to make anything of themselves, um, uh, though they've you know created this nice castle um, in <laughs> Minecraft. Uh, yeah. And, trap some pigs or something in a in a in a cart that they're gonna um then go lob boulders at this is what my daughter did last week um <laughs> uh, but like how did you know that concern but then also just thinking through um you know i train uh mdiv students here and sometimes the question arises uh for um a uh, someone training for the ministry or um just in the church's church ministry like how can i justify uh, time spent um, uh, reading or time spent doing other things than, you know, training for ministry or doing the work of the ministry. And uh, somebody asked me um, a few years ago how I justified uh, reading fiction. Wait till he finds out about Elden Ring. <laughs> uh, wait till he finds out about the fact that I play Call of Duty. Um, yeah. The answer to that question can be very specific and ad hoc, but uh, uh, what what do you think a, a broader theology of play or just uh, the nature of uh, leisure, how can that help this type of uh, discussion? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, there's, In fact, in my book, I quote, I think it's Peter Leithart, and he says, um, if all the gamers devoted just 1% of their gaming hours to something with real, with real world impact, they could move the world. And so I think that's like this common refrain amongst a lot of Christians is like, the, this and it's true. There, there, there's truth. There's a lot of truth in this. The, like our place in this world, the mission that we've been given is so critical. It's so important. Um, like, why, why would you waste any time doing things that that don't seem to matter unto eternity? But the reality is, my pushback against that is actually it does matter. Like you sp devoting time to things that are not productive is actually it must matter because god tells us to do that <laughs> right like like god commanded us commands his people to take a day and and cease from producing um 
to cease from producing food, uh, making money, providing for their families. So like rest is a regular rhythm of of God himself um, demonstrated for us that for us in creation and then commands us to make time for rest. And so then I also think about like some of the visions of the new heavens and the new earth that we see in the Old Testament. Like there's a few of them that involve play. Like Isaiah envisions uh, children playing over the holes of cobra dens. Um, Amos envisions um, children playing in the streets of a renewed Jerusalem. Um, and so like those little visions, I think tell us, and obviously like I know those are metaphorical, um, but I do think they tell us that God values play. And I think we see that in creation. There's a playfulness to the way God creates. Like, like um, he makes something and then he declares it good, um, enjoyable. He's saying this is enjoyable creation. I don't think God's grumpily creating beautiful mountains and, and uh, you know, and you see this in the way he creates us, um, you know, dirt and divine breath like he's. He's breathing life into us, and there's a very intimate, like loving, kind, enjoyable way he he goes about that process. And so, yeah, I think uh, the point of all this is that that God is the author of play, um, and there's a playfulness to creation, and there's a command I think um, to be playful within that command to rest. Um, the point of rest is to do things. I think I think to do things. That are not productive and that are enjoyable mm -hmm. and so um play when it's done the, the purest forms of play are not for profit are not for financial gain there are people that play games for money right professional athletes and um sometimes professional video gamers too um but uh but then that becomes work that's not play anymore that's work but for most of us who are never going to make a living playing video games uh games can be restful they're a form of like like re real talk I wish, I wish I had more time to play video games. Like so much of what I do is productive. So we need to model that for our kids too. Like, yes, they have way more time to do things that are not productive. And so we need to help them learn to give more times to things that are, right? That's sort of a different dichotomy, but but eventually they're gonna get to a place in their life where 90% of their of their week is given to being productive, taking care of things, you know? Um, and And we need to model for them what like, good rest looks like too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matt, you've done a little bit of work and uh, uh, connecting the specific considerations of video games with kind of a broader theology of of rest and, and leisure in the Christian life. What are some of the things that you think are important in this discussion and this, that Drew is bringing up? Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, you know, I, I agree with what with what Drew was um, stating there about the role that that rest and play have within the Christian life. Um, you know, I think that the pendulum has swung um, too far in the opposite direction. A lot of that ultimately derives from what you might traditionally call the Protestant work ethic, which is not necessarily altogether bad or inherently wrong. I mean, I, I think whenever you go back to creation and you see why we were created, ultimately as, as a way for God to glorify himself, what he commands um, Adam to do in the garden and, and Eve as well is that they are to have dominion over creation, right? So you have the cultural mandate there in Genesis one twenty eight, and 
part of that means that they are going to have to work in order to do it. But when you have the rhythm that was described there by Drew, that, that God also institutes this rhythm of work and then a cessation of work is ultimately, you know, what the purpose of, of the Sabbath is there. Um, obviously, it can't be because God himself needed rest, right? I mean, so by virtue of his aseity, God cannot need anything. He's entirely self-sufficient. So it's not as though God needed to rest in establishing that pattern, but rather he was doing it for a theological purpose. For a, There was some sense in which that was going to glorify him as well in establishing that pattern for how humans were to conduct their lives. And of course, the, the point of that is God knows that we as humans, even though we have been created to work as a means of glorifying God through that, we have not been created solely to work as a means of glorifying God, that there are also periods in which we glorify God in other ways that do that do not have to do with production, that do not have to do with vocation. And recreation and leisure, I think, is, is definitely um, a part of that. And the enjoyment of that as a good gift from God uh, for the purpose of, of human flourishing, I think, kind of provides a fuller picture of what it means for the, the chief end of man to be glorifying God. Yes, through through work. Yes, through, you know, evangelism. Yes, through ministry, uh, whatever that looks like, um, whether that's a vocational ministry or just, you know, the ministry that all Christians are called to in serving others and in um, sharing the gospel. But all of those also have... Um, this aspect in which leisure must also be incorporated into the fullness of life as uh, a human who is created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also as you're, y'all are talking about this as well, it, it's a testament to the swirling diversity of interests and uh, complexity of who we are as people and different cultures, uh, different people have different interests and um, pursuits, the, their creative uh, endeavors um, so it's a chance to love your neighbor well uh, by understanding what it is that they're passionate about. Um, what, Drew, one of my favorite uh, lines from the your the opening of your book is talking about how uh, understanding games for parents uh, is a challenge, but also an opportunity. Um, you say understanding our children's interests and hobbies is one of the greatest ways to express our love for them, uh, and so. This might be a good uh, transition point to thinking through the second part of your or the, the last part of your book. You have a chapter called Games Are Mission. Um, and mm -hmm. so you mentioned this uh, at the beginning, but you've also been involved in some outreach and ministry to uh, adults and children in the gaming community. Uh, maybe like Love Thy Nerd and um, some of your yeah. uh, writing and outreach. Um, so uh, what do you mean by this idea that games are missions and then what kind of challenges or opportunities are there when we mm. try to engage the gaming community, whether older or, or younger players? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, yeah, if you just think about um, the culture we live in, I mean, I think the st statistic needs to be updated, but um, in my book I say there are 214 million Americans who play video games, so 65% of American households are home to at least one person who plays video games regularly at least three hours a week. Um, you know, in 2020, video game revenue reached 162 billion worldwide. Um, that's a growth of 35%. Like, a, you know, if you're investing, <laughs> that's that's really nice. Uh, you know, the global esports audience is currently estimated to be about 474 million people. Um, 
And so it's a big deal. And also, like, it's not it's not what you think it is, too. Like, the average gamer is 35 or 31. I think the average age of gamers is 31. 45% of gamers in the U.S. are female. Um, yeah, and so uh, there's been a huge increase in, like, middle-aged people, too, lately who are playing video games. And so my point of all that is, like, we live in a culture of gamers. Um, and even if you think you're not a gamer, there's a pretty good chance you are. Like if if you pull out your phone in dull moments and play like Candy Crush or, um, you know, Game of War or something like that, like you're 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 a gamer. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I know you may not want to be. But, uh, you know, Words with Friends is a video game. Uh, so or not Words Wordle. with Friends. Uh, Wordle. That's what I was trying to say. Words with, Words with Friends was you know 10 years ago yeah, yeah you're dating yourself yeah. yes yeah, <laughs> i'm totally meant to say wordle but uh uh yeah so we live in a culture of gamers and i think we have this sort of presents the church with a challenge we can either sort of turn up our noses at that and sort of um you know cloister ourselves off and and decry our culture's obsession with video games or we could see that as an opportunity um to get in there and and build relationships with people and I think that's what we see Jesus do a lot mm. in the Gospels as he's engaging people. I mean, he's caught at parties with sinners and tax collectors, and there's a huge uproar about it. And, every, you know, the religious leaders are are um, questioning him and his integrity and trying to prove that he's, um, you know, that he's not the Messiah because of who he hangs out with. And so um, obviously we need to be careful about that with kids like uh, please don't hear me say I'm suggesting you let your kids just hang out with just anyone. Um, but I do think that there's a missional opportunity there. I mean, we all I think most of our churches nowadays see that there's like some missional opportunity in like sports, uh, for instance. Um, you know, there's very few churches that haven't at least thought about having a Super Bowl party. <laughs> um, and so we're like fandom. Oh yeah, that's fandom of sports. That makes sense. We should do, we should try to figure out ways to reach people through football. Um, I don't know why we can't see that sometimes with regard to things like video games. Um, so so yeah, I mean, there's that that's this is a big part of why I co-founded Love Thy Nerd uh, about four years ago was we wanted to figure out ways to reach nerds with the gospel to point nerds to Jesus. Um, and so uh, yeah, um, I think. I think there's huge missional potential. Um, relationships can be formed around anything that people hold dear. And so, um, you know, if, if your kid's really into video games, that's an opportunity. If he's, if she or he is a Christian and they're really into video games, um, help them see that as an opportunity to build relationships in which they can point people to Jesus. Um, I don't, I don't know why that's not a part of our like, or why that seems so foreign to us. It shouldn't. And that's a big part of that chapter is sort of to help help parents, help us all see that there's opportunity here um, to do to do good in the world, I think, mm -hmm. with how we engage video games. Yeah, that's good. This is a prior uh, definitional question, but how would you define uh, what a nerd is? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean... I, mean I, I agree that we're all nerds, but like, how would you define that... Yeah, yeah. So, like, at Love Thy Nerd, we kind of, we limit it. It's not. I don't know that there's like I. I certainly don't want to be a gatekeeper and tell someone that because they're really into like I don't know cars or something that they can't be a nerd. Um, yeah. But for like us at Love Thy Nerd, we, we're 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 more thinking of like 
people who are into video games and board games and Dungeons and Dragons and uh, anime and comics. And um, yeah, but if you're a car nerd, you're welcome to come hang out with us. Um, <laughs> even a yeah. sports nerd. Uh, there's a lot of sports nerds in our culture, right? Um, uh, so as you're thinking about um, either uh, kind of that type of ministry um, or uh, you know, a particular game, like, uh, you know, as we kind of progress here, do, do you have any personal experiences or examples that you might point to as an example of this, of the type of, uh, transformative experience or, uh, ministry opportunities, mm. uh, that you might, that was especially meaningful to you? Um, or, you know, thinking how could a theological framework help someone process specific games, gaming experiences, or gaming culture in mm. general? Yeah, I mean, I think like probably the most meaningful moments I've had in games would be with with primarily with other people. There's something like really beautiful about playing a game like uh, Journey, where you you know you meet a random stranger in this ethereal world, and you can either abandon each other or you're or you can help each other. <laughs> like, but you can't really do harm to anyone, and I like that. Uh, I don't know. To me, that's sort of a, a like almost like a vision of the new humanity. So we won't be able to harm each other uh, anymore, and that's going to be wonderful. Yeah, that's that's would be an example of a transformative experience. There's a lot of great games out there too that just have meaningful messages. Um, you know, like that Dragon Cancer, which is a game about a mm -hmm. family's a family who lost their child to cancer, and just sort of gives you know games provide us this opportunity for empathy. I think to an opportunity to get a small glimpse of what it might look like to walk in someone else's shoes. Um, but yeah, I think, I think like, I don't want to be, I don't want to exaggerate here or be too hyperbolic, but there's something magical about the almost any game experience, like just getting in there and pressing buttons and seeing what you can and can't do within this world created by someone else. is just really like, it's so cool. Like playing breath of the wild for the first time just like there's this huge world and i can go explore it and like mm -hmm. what if i throw this these different ingredients in a pot maybe something will happen <laughs> like uh, there's something really like like redemptive about that i think but missional um you asked about the missional question so i think i've covered the first part of your question mm -hmm. missionally yeah i just think i think the biggest thing for me probably is just the conversations that my involvement in video games and my writing about video games have offered me to be able to have you know but just, you know, if you struggle to talk to your kids about most things, like they just, you know, especially if you have like an older, like preteen or teen child, like getting them to open up to you is probably a struggle right now. Um, so try talking to them about video games and see what happens, right? Like mm -hmm. their face is probably going to light up. If you if you talk to them, not judgmentally, like sometimes we talk to our kids about video games, they're like, why do you like that garbage? Mm. What is wrong with you? <laughs> uh and that's not an inviting or welcoming conversation for anybody. Nobody likes to be asked, like, why do you like something that's stupid, uh, that I think is stupid? But, you know, ask them, like, what, why, do, what are you, why are you into this? Like, genuinely, and listen to them, and, like, ask follow-up questions, and make a genuine effort to be curious mm -hmm. about them, to learn about them. Um, curiosity, I think, is a really helpful tool when it comes to missional living that so often we fail to to properly engage or, or employ or whatever mm -hmm. as we seek to build relationships with people. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's really helpful in recognizing that um, the pervasiveness of gaming and just all different walks of life. Um, I remember going, I'm trying to get a new headset um, for my uh, <laughs> my uh, multiplayer rage sessions. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, I was at the at Walmart and uh, the uh, worker who was working there and, it, it, you know, if I was going to guess, I would guess that she was having a bad day. It wasn't a cheery disposition by any means, uh, checking out uh, back there in the electronic section. Uh, but she saw the headset um, and said, uh, she said, oh, I have one like this. And I said, oh, well, uh, what games do you play? And it was like, it was like she woke up. It was like her eyes lit up and she just started talking. We talked for a little bit. She was in the middle of, um, I forget what game it was, um, but she was in the middle of this um, session and she was excited to get back into it but it like changed the entire nature of mm -hmm. our um, interaction and um the conversation went from just transactional to i actually felt like i was um having a conversation with somebody that i knew uh, but it was because we had entered into a you know a space uh, where yeah. we were both we were you know we recognized each other as gamers because <laughs> You, you wouldn't mm -hmm. be getting this headset for yourself if you weren't uh, if you weren't uh, some sort of uh, nerd gamer, uh, but yeah. it was a this right. common a, a common denominator that just made a actual conversation uh, much easier, um, and so I think that's a a touch point for just being human and being decent to each other, but also as you're thinking about caring for people that um, you don't know. Um, and, and want to uh, encourage in that sense and share the gospel. Uh, the, the other thing of uh, you mentioned the magical part of this of uh, I always think of there are certain experiences uh, and just the way that you engage a story in a game that they're not they're not experiences that are better than others, but there's they're unique. It's like you can't mm -hmm. you can't generate this in any other way. And the same is true for other sports or, or movies or, or other feature features of culture. Uh, but there are some unique things that happen uh, in games where you you try and fail and try and fail and you finally get to you know, the final boss <laughs> uh, and then you realize the final boss is actually the penultimate boss and the final mm -hmm. boss is much bigger. But just those moments of of, of frustration, uh, achievement, and, and release are are some that you can't find in other cultural texts, and I think that's part of what makes them so powerful. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good point. Yeah, um, I was going to add too. In relation to both of your comments, Chad, both yours um, with your story about the, the Walmart worker and um, Drew's in terms of um, how parents view video games. You know, I think a lot of times there's a misunderstanding on the part of, of parents because so many of them are from a generation in which video games were something that you did when you were a kid. And then you, you know, mm -hmm. quote, grew up. And as part of growing up, you then jettison them because you have other responsibilities or other interests that later develop. And that that might have been true, uh, you know, for a time. You know, I, I think that there are always exceptions to to the rule when it comes to stuff like that. But I would say that for the most part, when you're dealing with, say, Gen Xers and above, that that probably holds true. Unfortunately, or I shouldn't say unfortunately, I mean, it, uh, I guess maybe unfortunately for them who have this misunderstanding, but that's just not the case um, any longer. Uh, you know, th th this idea of your kid growing up and then magically giving up video games when they get older, you know, I'm sorry, but that's just not going to happen. 
for mm -hmm. for the majority of them. And we are in a, an indifferent age, if you will, when it comes to to gaming. Uh, you might want to call it, say, a ludic age uh, in a way, right? In which people just play games as part of their normal everyday adult lives. It's not something that they gave up. It may be something that they don't have as much time to do anymore. But for you know a vast majority of American adults, they have not given them up completely and completely ignore video games. So I would say that probably most likely the younger the parent is at this point, the more likely they are to have enjoyed games in the past and maybe still somewhat enjoy games in the present. And, and I view sort of um, this generally, generationally in a way where I think we're we're progressively moving to a period in which parents are more primed to understand games and the role that they play in the lives of their kids better than ever before because many parents are very likely to still have at least some measure of gaming in their life that serves as a touch point into the lives of their kids and, and what their kids are doing. Um, additionally, I want to say one further thing about that is so much of the socialization that used to take place in other arenas now takes place online, even for kids mm -hmm. who know each other in real yep. life. And, you know, a lot of parents don't understand that, that, you know, whenever your kid comes home and if your kid is doing his homework and then he's hopping online to play Fortnite with his buddies, that is a social arena that previously yeah. did not exist in your generation because you didn't have the ability to mm -hmm. to play games online like that. And so, you know, there's a shift in that in that respect as well, that the socialization component of games, if you take a child and you completely remove them from this arena in which many of their peers are also socializing, I think you can actually do some some damage there in terms of, mm -hmm. of the development that's that's necessary for a child to have. Admittedly, it's different, of course. You know, it's not the same thing as being face-to-face -face and in real life, as it were, in terms of, you know, the, the physical presence. And I think there is an importance to that. I'm not trying to denigrate it. But I am saying that yeah. the online arena is still a social arena that children largely choose to socialize mm -hmm. in 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 the 21st century. It just is. And mm -hmm. I don't think that that's going to change. Yeah. 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 Playgrounds are really important for kids, like their time spent on the playground. Um, and like and when I say playground, I don't literally mean necessarily like, you know, a, a space with a jungle gym and a slide and swings um but any place where kids play together is really important for how for their development um like there's been so much research on how good play is not just for kids but for adults like um it's really good for us as human beings mm -hmm. uh, for our brains for our physical well-being for our stress levels um and the cool thing about video games is that they're like really accessible playgrounds nowadays um like for some people, it's really hard to take your kids to a place where they where you're going to feel like it's safe for them to play. Um, now, there are ways in which playing video games online can be can be dangerous. And that I get into that in the book a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I think, yeah, I think we're missing an opportunity for the develop for to help our kids develop if we completely cloister them off from those online experiences to play games with other people um, mm -hmm. because that's uh, that's how they're socializing. That's how kids are socializing today. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think what you said, Matt, is, is spot on. Um, that said, I do like, 
and I think you'd agree. I think you kind of touched on this already, so I don't. I, don't, I think you would totally agree. I also think we got to figure out ways to like, like force them to get outside and like get on a real playground yeah. and like yeah, definitely play play cops and robbers or whatever it is. Like, are you? I don't know. You might be opposed to that. Some people listen to this. I don't know. But whatever <laughs> game you think is appropriate, like play, get them outside playing this. Like, yeah. Um, they need both of those things, and um, it is a little bit sad to me that we've lost a little bit of that in our culture. But I don't, yeah, I don't know how to get it back completely. And so, um, yeah, I don't want my kids to miss out on those those really accessible playgrounds that can be found, like by playing Minecraft mm-hmm. together online or something like that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think that's a good articulation of both the challenges and benefits in each new um, social situation. Uh, we gain something and then we lose something. So I think having that uh, mindset is uh, mm. important and helpful. Uh, the closing question, uh, as we kind of draw here to a close, I, I like to ask, uh, Drew, I'll ask you this, um, maybe in light of some of the, the challenges and uh, issues we've been talking about as well, but there's a lot going on in our world that is discouraging, but what is something that gives you hope? Hmm. I should be more prepared for this. Because <laughs> uh, I do think I'm a like generally a hopeful person. Um, lately, this is a stupid answer, but um, lately I've been really into Formula One racing. <laughs> and so that's just something that brings me joy. It's just it's just fun to watch uh, these amazing, amazing inventions race at mind-numbing speeds across. Uh, racetracks and um just to see the whole the whole ordeal of it there's a lot of things about it that are not like that are probably idolatrous but uh it's something that i'm just enjoying a lot um but of course of course jesus is what gives me ultimate hope so that hasn't changed <laughs> but yeah i was just trying to think of something fun to share um but yeah no that kind of relates to kind of what we've been talking about here is the those uh uh, small small joys that we get from uh, either investigating creation mm-hmm. or playing games is, you know, these are little uh, bits of common grace that help us as we're thinking through uh, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to uh, enjoy God's good creation? So, yeah. So yeah. I think that's a that's a good answer. Uh, so <laughs> there's like one particular Formula One podcast that I really like. And so I get the like, even if I don't get to watch the race, I get I get to feel like I understand that world and that there's a whole community around it. Sort of like mm-hmm. what we talked about with video games. It's a way it's been a way for me to like connect with people because I have mm-hmm. I have a, several new friends now that we text about Formula One. And it's a chance to yeah. like kind of like your Walmart example. It's a opportunity to step into other people's worlds and share something and enjoy it together. Making those interpersonal connections where they uh previously weren't i think that's a that's a very hopeful thing as we're thinking mm-hmm. about there's a lot that divides us but some of these cultural texts these cultural practices they can unite us in a way that uh, we couldn't otherwise uh, well yeah, thanks for sure. drew for coming on i'm uh i think your book will be very helpful for uh people thinking about just games in general but uh, for sure for parents who are either concerned or just want to learn more uh, about you know what's going on in their either their own lives or their kids' lives uh, from mm. a from an expert nerd uh, such as such as yourself. <laughs> so um, thank you. So thanks for thanks for uh, taking the time today, and thanks Matt for joining us today. Yeah, sure.
Okay, so by the time this is out, uh, my book will be be available. Yes, so, yes. You know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, wherever you like to buy books, you should be able to pick up a copy. It's called Know Thy Gamer. <laughs>